Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast. Collect all 92 episodes in your big old brain. Today we're discussing collections, specifically toys with some sort of franchise attached to them. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, and I own both 90s Buff Lobot and Slender Articulate 2004 Lobot, but my mom long since donated my 1980 vintage Lobot. I'm Erica Spire, sniffing my way to nostalgia with strawberry shortcake. I'm Brian Hurt, used without tags. Please read seller description carefully before purchasing. And our guest. Hi, I'm Matt Young, and I have the illness of collecting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so Matt is another... I believe our fourth person on the podcast associated with the Hello from the Magic Tavern podcast as part of my ongoing stalking of that property. (laughs) He is working through you like those groupies through the Mercury astronauts and the right stuff. It is. (laughs) That's fair. It is something else. I play Usador the Wizard on Hello from the Magic Tavern. Uh, You can follow us at Magic Tavern or you can follow me at Usador the Blue. And then I did the Improvised Star Trek podcast for about 10 years. So a bunch of episodes you can go listen to there. And I know there will be a temptation among some of us on here to like Brooke Shields in that Friends episode where she thought Joey was actually Drake Ramore in real life. But we're going to use the name you're known by on Earth, Matt Young, here. Yeah, that's fair. It's funny. I was just talking to Arnie about this the other day and we were talking about you know, some of our kind of behind the scenes dealings with people. And I'm like, sometimes I feel like people really gravitate towards you and Adel more than they gravitate towards me. And he's like, they don't hear you. (laughs) They kind of hear us as we exist. And then like they talk to you and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like uh, the great and powerful wizard that comes on and is so intense. It's both a gift and a curse to like hide behind that voice. (laughs) We had a chat about what you would want to talk about. We'd already done Legos. We almost committed ourselves to a Transformers episode, which would have meant sitting through those horrible movies. Thank God. But luckily, we settled on this thing because you have, I'm looking at a giant list, unless you've uh, put together something at the speed of the Usador name list that to go (laughs) over these, perhaps we could just give a couple of highlights. As a collector over the years, I've collected a lot of different specifically toy properties related to like things that are often nostalgia based. And in the recent years, I've come to collect some higher end, fancier things. Specifically, I would call out the Mondo Batman, the animated series 12 inch line is beautiful. They've only done three of them so far and they're amazing. But the big things that I really dig into are Star Wars Legos, which I got back into when the sequel trilogy started and Transformers, which I don't really care that much about the Transformers media. But I love the reason I think I love Legos and Transformers in particular is like there's functional and there's design elements there. I love the puzzle aspect of Transformers. I love the building aspect of Legos. I love the interactiveness of those things. But I'm also like the most 
typical nerd. I like I like a lot of like DC comics from back in the day. I'm not so much in the movies now, but like I have a lot of those figures. I have a lot of Masters of the Universe figures from again an updated line in the 2000s and 2010s. A lot of those properties came back. It's like online exclusives or like new updates of like the thing that existed in the 80s and like did it fancier. So that's kind of a quick overview of a lot of the stuff I have. So you're not one to keep them in the box. You actually like to use the collectibles. I am very much an open box collector. I love to like have the thing and be able to manipulate the thing and having that tactile experience with something really just speaks to me for some reason. Even if it's just an action figure that doesn't like transform or build into something. There's something about the tactile experience of having a physical manifestation of the thing that I like kind of presented there. It feels like I've accomplished something, which is a false sense of accomplishment. (laughs) Oh, don't be so hard on yourself. At least this makes more sense to me. I'm glad that we started from the place of this not making sense. I gotta say, we're saying right up front, we usually give our bona fides and I I am not a collector. I never have been a collector. I've been given things with the hope that I would be a collector of such things and it's nothing is ever stuck. Hmm. However, I can understand wanting to collect something that you actually use. I don't quite understand collecting for the sake of collecting and having the thing that nobody... I don't want to play with it, but I don't want anybody else to have it either. Yeah, I don't really fully get that either. I mean, I can respect it because there's like... It's such a weird biosphere of collecting. (laughs) Like, it's such a big topic to take on because there are those people, like you said, who like want it and don't want anyone to play with it and just want to have it all. And then there are those people who want it and then want it in the box, but it's speculative. They're trying to like make money off of it, you know, mm-hmm. like down the road, they want it to be worth something. A lot of that is misguided. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also an aspect of this, which is, I don't want to call it OCD exactly, but I do know, and this is mostly through my Lego friends, there are people who don't intend to sell it, but they also can't bear the thought of spoiling it somehow and knowing that it's under wraps, you know, in the plastic it came in, it's a perfect thing. And there's a feeling that getting your dirty hands on it is is going to to ruin it in some way. Yeah, but you need both really for it to all work. Let's talk about Legos just for a second. Legos have to appeal to a mass audience so that they can be in stores and be on shelves So moms and friends for Christmas and birthdays will buy them as gifts and that can make enough money to be a viable business. And then there's a smaller percentage of people who are collectors and that's a much smaller bucket, but still a big bucket with a lot of diversity within it. The people who want to keep it in the box and want to keep it safe and they feel good about that, that gives them some sort of happiness. Awesome. Great. Knock yourselves out. For me, I want to open it. I want to build it. I want to have the tactile sensation of like, I want to appreciate the design and the engineering because there are really, truly such advances in Lego and there's uh, such artistry in Lego specifically. And there are people who create things that are not the sets that you buy off the shelf with the medium of Lego that are really incredible. But even the packaged ones now, there are a lot of if you buy some of the the more higher collector end stuff, there's like a whole Star Wars like they call it collectors series or, or master builders, ultimate collector series. They're very complicated and they're really cool to build. Like if I build one of those, I'm often like I see it on the package and I'm like, how did they do that? How did they make Legos into that shape? That seems impossible. And then I put it together. I'm like, oh, cool. They thought to like twist the thing and 
it's at an angle and I'm, I'm impressed by that. And I enjoy that experience of like discovering that. And I need to be the person who opens it so that the guy who has it in a box gets to have the fact that that appreciates <laughs> because if everyone kept it in a box, it wouldn't be worth anything. And if everyone opened it again, it also wouldn't be worth anything. Like, so you need that kind of like balance of the two for the speculative people. Uh, you know, I have some things in boxes just because I don't have space for everything. I've, I've bought too many things in the last couple of years. And I am looking now at, since I'm not a completist and I just kind of want the things I want and I probably went a little too far in some places, I often find myself editing my collections too. I will go, oh, I've got a lot of Star Wars sets now and I've got a few Batmans and I've got a couple other, you know, one-off things. I'm like, some of these ones that I haven't opened yet that I bought because there was a six new sets came out and I bought like three of them. I'm like, oh, these two I, I don't really want. I'm never going to build. I'm never going to get around to it. So I'm going to probably sell those eventually. And so my collection will never be complete in that sense. It will be complete for me because I want particular characters or ships or whatever. See, Lego is weird because it's an opaque box product. So yeah. I heard they're actually selling a new uh, just for collectors, just for the diehard closed box collectors, a Schrodinger line, which, uh, you know, is 50-50 <laughs> filled with trash. And, yeah. and they'll just never tell you because you will never open it. You know, Mark, I may or may not have heard that also. <laughs> uh. I'm right with you, Matt. I'm also not a completist and I am definitely an opener of things. You know, we're audio podcasts, obviously. And just to paint a picture of of Matt's um, background, he has these in his wall behind him are these blue shelves and they're completely empty. That's the part I don't understand. Like, how come those aren't stacked with? Funko or something, these empty milk crates. Oh, what you're seeing here actually is a corner of my bedroom because it's the best room to record in during quarantine. And uh, what you're seeing is a lack of laundry being completed where <laughs> there should be <laughs> sweaters and jeans in there, uh, which would uh, provide additional audio padding. So I apologize for the uh, tinniness of this episode. So we were giving bona fides, Mark. How about yours beyond Lobot as a collector? I don't officially have a collection of anything. My dad started me or my somebody started me on collecting stamps as a kid. I actually have a stamp book that is somewhere in a box, but that never actually caught on something that I think is just something that they fool young children with or because my dad grew up like in the Great Depression. Of, <laughs> that was a thing to collect. But I grew up exactly that time where Star Wars toys were our toys. They were virtually the only thing that I wanted or got for a number of years and then let them all go away. And so when I had our first kid, I discovered eBay. <laughs> and for about a year, I don't actually know what the, what the length was, but so I can't divide the rediscovering of that old property and trying to sort of repopulate and replace and be amazed at how many more Star Wars things had come out in the meantime so that I could get like the cantina set is no longer four figures. It's like, 28 figures or of, you know, but every random, the wolf man that was in the, the, the scenes that were cut from the original version, the canteen. Someone's shoulder who you barely see. Like we get the figure of them now. Yeah, absolutely. And so I really enjoyed, you know, setting up those and did the same with Jabba's palace stopped right when they released the six breasted dancer that was uh, not available when I was into it. And I still regret maybe not purchasing the six breasted <laughs> dancer, which is now $40 or something. If you, if you wanted to buy it. <laughs> So most of that, the excuse was that it was going to my son. There were not enough holidays such that my wife would actually let me give it all to him. So we still have a box down here with a slave one and a number of other Star Wars things. But most of them 
or at least packed in his room somewhere. Then I kind of, as he grew out of it, I lost interest and, you know, so it was a phase. Let's put it that way. (laughs) I do not have kids. If I had kids, I think I would very much be trying to like at least encourage them to buy things that I think are cool. I mean, that's kind (laughs) of how I got into it as a kid. Like, so Star Wars came out when I was four. So I was very into like all the Star Wars stuff when I was a kid. And there's a great video online of like a local news report that you can find of someone going to a toy store. I think it's a Toys R Us right before Empire Strikes Back comes out. And I think it's one of the best examples of like how truly huge Star Wars was. Like Star Wars has always been big and it's, it's, you know, it's wavered and kind of come up and down. It was like kind of nowhere in the early nineties. And you think of Star Wars now is it's really big, but seeing this video and seeing the store that is like, 50% Star Wars is insane how much stuff they've got. You're like, oh, wow. You can't really understand how big of a cultural phenomenon that was and how much that informed the generation of people like myself who find that satisfaction of like, oh, I like this thing and I want the physical manifestation of this thing. I also want to say about eBay, like eBay is a blessing and a curse for me. Like I like selling stuff on ebay and i like buying stuff on ebay what are the other options what do you <laughs> no uh, i no, i was just saying like i sometimes joke with my uh, partner i'm like i say to her she'll, she'll be like what are you doing right now on your phone i'm like i'm playing my game and what i'm doing is i'm looking on ebay and i'm looking for deals like i want to find something that i want and i don't want to necessarily pay uh, too much money for it so i'll kind of have some things set up and i'll be looking and I, i'm not like I'm obsessive about it a little bit. I'll check every day. I check a couple of sites. I, I watch some news things on YouTube about people who know about Legos, know about Transformers, know about Star Wars or whatever. It's a passing kind of passive thing. And maybe I spend five, 10 minutes a day on it. Some days I don't think about it at all. I'm never going to put myself into debt <laughs> to do this. I'm never going to like create a problem for myself other than I just have right now, like I said, I kind of have too many things in my apartment. I just need to edit some out and I, and I'm planning to do that. Like I'll take some Legos apart. I'll sell them. I'll take some of the stuff that I never opened and like get rid of it or donate it or whatever I do. I've given them to friends, kids and stuff before. It's like, Oh, I've got this set. I'm not going to use it. Take it. You've created some good audio for them to play to you at the intervention that will eventually happen. (laughs) Matt, you did call it an illness in the beginning of the show, and it sounds like from the subscription it really isn't for you, but maybe there's an acknowledgement that it there's a continuum, and maybe for some it is. I mean, I don't know if you have knowledge of that or if you ever see yourself creeping towards it being a problem? Oh, I definitely have seen it creeping towards being a problem. And I think there are times (laughs) like right now, like I said, I need to edit some and I need to rein it in. A lot of people during the pandemic, I think, got interested in some of the things I collect and the prices have actually gone up pretty dramatically across the board. So I have simultaneously been like, well, there's some a couple of new things that I really want and I don't want to pay double for them down the road. I am paying a slightly higher price for them new. And then like the stuff on eBay, like I just like I don't do as much because everybody's just looking because they're home and they're trying to like fill a void in their life. I've kind of backed off in a way and I'm like, I'm going to let this all chill out and people will get back to normal life in a while. And then I'll see if I can find the particular version of Optimus Prime that I really want to get or something. Optimus Prime with cigarette. Yeah, that's the one. It's kind of a push and a pull, and I'm always sort of aware of it. And 
I jokingly call it an illness. I think a lot of people realize like they can get too obsessed and they can get too into it. And to me, it's about always having to balance. I have a lot of creative outlets. It's not like I'm at home just completely obsessed with this all the time. It's a nice hobby sometimes and other times I, I can let it go. So I feel like I have a good balance on it personally. And honestly, I've come to get a lot of satisfaction out of just like, it's not quite ASMR, but like seeing other people transform a toy, <laughs> specifically with Transformers, is like there are videos of that. And I'm like, oh, I'm just curious how this thing works. Sometimes the engineering of them is really incredible. If you guys are familiar with Transformers at all, in the early days, those toys came over from Japan and then they created a cartoon around them. As a kid, I was always frustrated when toys didn't really look like the media that matched them. And, I, and for me, it was always like, well, why did they make a toy that didn't look like the media? When most of the time it was the other way around, they were creating media to be a commercial for the toy. And a lot of these modern things have kind of gone back and said like, okay, we're going to look at that original media and we're going to create an action figure that looks exactly like what you saw on TV. And yet it can still transform down into this car, which if you just look at it, you're like, well, that shouldn't be possible because they're doing that in animation and they can just fake it you know they're like no physics yeah and the physics are out the window it doesn't matter and they found these really clever ways to like make these things look so much more like what their on-screen counterparts look like i love the puzzle aspect of it i love the figuring it out aspect i love when i see a new one online i'm like how do they do that i just want to get my hands on it and kind of figure it out Bringing up eBay, I, I have to wonder like how much they really changed the game. Because I remember when eBay first started, it was fascinating to go on there and see things that you hadn't seen in years and years. Unless you were a hardcore antiquer or something, you know, you went to a lot of estate sales, you weren't just going to see these things and be able to, you know, have them readily available. And so outside of just being a game changer for collectors. It's a nostalgia machine. Yeah. And I wonder how much that actually made even toy companies be like, hey, this is worth a lot of money on eBay. Maybe we should come out with a new, we should redo this set of toys. Let's devalue this, <laughs> this competitor. Yeah. I think that, I think there's some aspect of that of like, yeah, let's re-release this thing because people are buying it for like a lot of money. But I also think it's been good market research, <laughs> weirdly. So in the 2009 or 2010, Mattel online started a Masters of the Universe line, He-Man. It was exclusively online. It was the same characters with the same like basic design, but with more articulation, bigger size, better paint applications, just like much fancier. Basically like a six inch figure of this thing that used to be like a five inch figure and it can actually move and it, it had a lot more accessories and all this stuff. So this line ran for about 10 years online and actually still kind of trickles out things since it kind of moved on to another company and blah, blah, blah. But I think part of the reason they did that and they did it in an online version was like, well, we have a fan base who is like buying this stuff and is interested in this stuff. We don't feel like we can put it out at retail right now because it just doesn't seem to be the right mood or right thing. So let's do this experiment where we sell directly to collectors online and you pay $20 for a six inch figure, you know, which is not as much as they are now. A lot of times now they're 25 or 30 and it did really well for that particular small collector audience. And now what you're seeing is because of the popularity of that line with collectors, He-Man is like back on store shelves and they're doing a new line aimed at kids and they're doing two new Netflix series. And they had the She-Ra series a couple years ago that was actually really good. And there's just this renewed interest in it. And it's this weird cyclical thing. And it does come out of those, you know, sort of a secondary market things of like, well, what is popular right now? 
one of the Ultimate Collector series that Brian was talking about before, there was an Ultimate Collector series Millennium Falcon that came out 2004 or 5 or something. It's a huge, huge Millennium Falcon. Very complicated. Very much for collectors. Not for like a kid to play with. It didn't really have an interior. It was just a cool display piece. And it sold for like four or $500 at the time because it was just so big and there were just so many pieces. And online, up until a few years ago, and maybe maybe even now, it was selling for like $10,000 because it just was so hard to get. It was so popular. And then Lego went and they updated the whole thing. They redid the whole thing. They made it even better, even cooler, even fancier. Re-released it like three, four years ago for $800. And it was like, here's the new Ultimate Collector Series Millennium Falcon. And it's $800, which is a lot cheaper than $10,000 or $5,000 or however much it was actually going for. I can't remember the exact number. And it sold like gangbusters because it had this story behind it of like it became at the time it came out. No one really cared about it. And then it's sort of like online grew this mythos about it, this unachievable, unattainable thing. And like, honestly, the one that they remade, if you stand a few feet away from it, you kind of can't even really tell it's Lego. That's kind of how good it is. It's really impressive. The eBay thing and the online communities and the bloggers and the YouTubers, the companies are definitely watching all that stuff and they know what's going on and they know what people are interested in. They know what people are upset about and they try really hard to like make all that stuff the way people like it. I think they're trying really hard to appeal to collectors, but it's like that thing I said before. They always have to kind of other than like an online exclusive thing like that He-Man thing, they have to make something that can appeal to people at retail. And to do that, it has to have like an action feature or like a cool light up thing. And sometimes collectors don't want that stuff. They're like, but that's for kids. And it ultimately it needs to be for kids. And that's fine. And if people are upset about that, then they just are unreasonable. I feel like this is all a new ecosystem that was built from eBay. I mean, it, it couldn't have existed before in quite the same way. And I think there's a dark side to eBay also. And it really did end a phase of my collecting when it came into being, which is there was this part of collecting that involved hunting and seeking. Mm -hmm. And every time I was in a new town, it would try to be a completist, so to speak, to try to get every book and print of certain authors. And it was after Alfred Bester, who didn't write that much, but he was, some of his things were easy to get and some were really hard. And I would always go, I would be traveling for work and I'd go into a bookstore and I was on looking for his very first book, which wasn't even science fiction. Is he fiction. the stars, my destination? Yeah, that's right. The stars, my destination and, and the demolished man are his two big ones. Okay. And then eBay came along and I finally was able to get my hands on that first book. And I did. And then I completely lost interest in the whole enterprise because it's like, well, shit. I mean, this isn't any fun. I mean, yeah, I know how to spend money, but suddenly <laughs> like going into used bookstores and digging around and also everyone kind of knew what the price was. So you would never find a hidden gem yeah. that a bookseller didn't know what it cost because it doesn't matter what something's on sale for on eBay. What matters is what it's sold for, but that's easy enough to find out. So I was like, yeah, fuck this. There's a really good documentary about booksellers. I think that is definitely a double-edged sword of, yeah, you can find anything. You can just go get it. In some ways, the hunting aspect of it, if that's what you were into, if like it's enjoyable to like go through things and find little hidden gems, which is cool. It's fun to like go to like a flea market and be like, oh, they've got the thing I want and somebody's selling it because they found it in an attic and I can get it for 20 bucks. And to me, it's worth a hundred bucks. That has been damaged by the online community. The counterpoint or, or the thing I think that has been gained 
is the fact that that community is a community instead of a bunch of individuals like going and finding things. I think there are places online. I don't know so much about book collecting, but I think that there are, you know, at toy shows and now things now and, and kind of nerd centric sort of programs and things, any kind of convention, there's always somebody doing like a charitable thing. I think it's really cool that community can come out of these things like board games or toy collecting or whatever. You don't expect the people to be like as welcoming and as kind of, I think there's a community of people who like want to like do good and be good and help with things. Obviously, there are people who also are just total shitheads who are totally worthless. (laughs) But there's also people who like found each other, you know, and I I think that it's such a double edged sword, though, because they were giving a lot up and that can also have a dark side of it, too, of course. Okay, I'd like to talk to you about lending platform Upstart. There's a lot we can't control in life between family and work and everything else. That's all I can do sometimes to prepare for and record a weekly podcast. I have no idea how Mark manages three different ones but there's no worse feeling than not having control of your finances, and specifically your debt. And that's where Upstart comes in. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and it's all done online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. Now, the great thing about Upstart is that you're more than your credit score. Upstart looks at things like your income and employment history, which means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 and $50,000. And you can receive your funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So don't wait to take control of your credit, to pay down your debt, and to claim your freedom. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com pretty. That's Upstart dot com slash pretty don't forget to use our url to let them know we sent you loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application go to upstart.com slash pretty all right back to the discussion so i had a similar experience that brian was describing in looking for cds going to used record stores i know there are a lot of still vinyl people that do this But then in addition to the eBay slash Amazon issue of there's no point in leaving the house if I want to really get a used CD by somebody. But of course, the more pressing thing of then now it's it's an informational medium. I'll just use Spotify or whatever. And I'm wondering how many years away we are from that with toys, with 3D printing. It's just going to be more and more prevalent. Uh. (laughs) And it's going to be a matter of passing around blueprints, I realized like right now it is really time consuming and they're not going to look as good and you'd have to like paint them into it. There's so much things, but I could just imagine this being very soon where slow your yeah, roll there, Mark. We're I don't much know. closer than you think. <laughs> we're much closer than you think. So again, I'm going to talk about specifically the Transformers masterpiece line and some of their other sort of more collector focused stuff. That line started about 20 years ago. They put out one Optimus Prime figure. There was supposed to be like a 20th anniversary, like the ultimate version of this character. And it was like a hundred bucks or something. And it was really big and had die cast in it. And it looked more like the cartoon, like I was saying. And then they put out one thing a year for like five or six years. And then at some point they were like, why don't we just make every single character that people want and have been asking for? And it's kind of exploded in popularity. Now, what that has caused is they still can only do so many of these very kind of high-end, complicated figures that are specially, like, 
kind of like niche audience. And this audience still has enough pull, though, that they're like, well, we want all the characters from the 1986 movie and we want this character who's in the background and we want all these ones where their heads transformed and became a little a robot. So a whole third party system has grown out of that that originally was just people 3D printing to do like add ons. It's like, oh, you want another piece of armor or a different weapon for your guy or you want like another trailer for Optimus Prime because they just put out a cardboard trailer. They go into factories and like rent out a factory and they like there's a whole third party unbranded. But clearly this is like a character from Transformers. They call it something else. They do a production run and Hasbro and Takara Tomy have to know it exists. There's no way they don't know it exists, but they let it continue to happen. And you can buy these things and you can get characters that they probably would just never get to or never make. And now those companies with those add on kits who are like, like, you want to make your figure six inches taller because like they made the legs too short or whatever. We're like, well, we'll give you a piece that puts another two inches on the knee and two inches on the foot. And now it's the right size. A lot of those things are starting to be 3D printed and shared around. And yeah, you have to paint them. But that is starting to become a thing of, yeah, how much longer will it be? And and especially I think kids are like less toy. So much of the toy aisle is is not as kid focused because kids like want Minecraft and they want they do have digital experiences and they maybe they want a toy that's related to that. Maybe they want to play with some Legos, but they're more just like ingrained into the digital world. And I think what we'll see is like more digital collectibles as a real thing moving forward. And some of that will be shareable, printable, creatable stuff. And some of it will just be purely virtual. Is this where we're going to show off our non-fungible tokens? Yes, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) For me, since it's such a tactile experience, that's not for me. But somebody, yeah, someone will love that. And it's in games already. Games have collecting built into them. There's a collector mentality that goes into so much of video gaming now of like, well, I want 100 percent this and I want to collect all the little hidden trophies around in, you know, Batman Arkham Asylum or in Breath of the Wild or whatever. You can find 900 golden pieces of poop in that game. You know, uh, there's all sorts of crazy crap you can find. So it's really about scratching that itch and it'll continue to evolve. I mean, the generation before us who writes all the, I, I sent these guys a couple of articles, listener at home, that I thought were very funny to me because there was one written in like 2019 and one written in like 2006. And they're both like, oh, toys aren't just for kids anymore. And I'm like, yeah, they haven't been for like 30 <laughs> years. So like everybody stopped fucking writing that article. Um, Adulting. <laughs> Are yeah, you kidulting that? <laughs> yeah, I guess I am. I It's like, it's fine. You know, I just think it's funny that 14 years apart, that there's still a mentality of that. Yeah, there's a community of people who, who like a different thing than you. I'm sorry. You know, the generation before us, I think about this sometimes. And I think about there's sort of like a tis- tisking at, at us of how we kind of deal with things. But like they were into Lionel trains and they started the whole comic book collection <laughs> craze that is also now all digital and kind of irrelevant unless you've got Action Comics number one or something. That always existed and it's always going to shift. The next generation or two generations after me aren't going to give a care about action figures. That won't be a thing. It will be some other version of that. It'll be collecting every version of Minecraft, like every release. It's like, well, I've got a server where I've got 1.0, <laughs> 1.2, I've got all of them, you know, like I dug through whatever. How many and I of them do you actually those. play? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it'll be something like that. And that's fine. And if if it brings people joy and they aren't hurting other people and 
are still constructive members of society in some way. Why do people care? Why is there a judgment related to it? I I, I have Minecraft 1.2 still in Faraday cage. Yeah. (laughs) Totally mint. Yeah, right? Well, that's a good point about judgment because this is a safe space among the four of us. And we're all just totally fine with each other doing whatever with our collections. But, you know, I'm in some online groups where there's a real struggle with people getting their families, their spouses. And it's not just the cost investment, but it's like, this is a waste of time. And I don't value this. And I don't think you should be doing it either. And I think that's a real struggle for people. And I'm I'm really fortunate to have a super supportive family that come to my shows and to see the things that I've created. And that's great, but it is not a universal experience. Yeah, it's tricky. And, and I get if you're not into the thing and you see the person in your life spending potentially a lot of money on it, you're like, what are you doing? It's really hard sometimes to share your passions with people in a way that doesn't feel oppressive (laughs) and allows them the opportunity to see like what you love about it. And I think sometimes I've struggled with this as a kind of nerdy guy to be like, I love this thing because of this. And here's why I want to share it with you. And I've gotten better at it over the years. And I think it's about letting yourself be vulnerable, which sounds like a crazy thing when we're talking about collecting toys. But it is really like, well, this thing means something to me because it struck me emotionally in some way. And I think I do that maybe not so much through the things I literally collect. Although sometimes I'm like, this thing is so cool. And like, look how it does this thing. And like, when I'm impressed by the engineering of it, I sometimes try to share that. Although that has varying degrees of success. But sometimes the thing that inspires me to love that thing, I'm a big fan of the sequel Star Wars movies. The first two especially I really, really liked. Then wasn't crazy about the third one. That's a hot take from me. (laughs) I I get the critiques of a lot of them too. And I, I can hear some of them and some of them I agree with, some of them I don't. But the moment in The Force Awakens when Rey gets the lightsaber, like pulls it out of the snow past beautiful Adam Driver is like such an emotional moment for me. And it's hard for me to express that in words, but sharing that movie with somebody and and saying like, there's something about seeing her succeed and wanting her to succeed and wanting her to be the torchbearer as an adult who comes at it with like, this is a thing I grew up with and like someone else can now be the one and passing it on to the next generation. There's something really powerful about that to me when I see that moment in that movie. There's something really powerful to me about Captain America, the first Avenger, when Steve Rogers, as the little before he gets the thing, jumps on the grenade. I love that moment. I love that moment. I get a little verklempt when I see that moment, you know, because I'm like, he's the guy who's going to do it. I'm getting verklempt thinking about it right now. And I think if you can share those things and say, like, this means something to me because I want to make sure I'm helping people. I want to make sure that the world is better than I left it. And these things kind of inspire me to do that in some way. Maybe I don't succeed at that every day. Maybe buying an expensive action figure isn't the best way to do that. But in the other aspects of my life, it reminds me that I need to like do better and be better and lift the people up around me. It's like some people wearing, I I suppose, like wearing a rosary, you know, and I know that's a different meaning, but or, or having crosses or whatever it is that helps you remember tattoos. That's another thing that people love to collect. Because it it means something, right? That's a great point. It's just, it's more cumbersome. I've got this mechanism that it sprouts out from my shoulders and I put a a Palpatine on one side and a Yoda on the other side. (laughs) So they can be advising me as I walk about the world. 
I think that's a great point, Eric. And I think everyone kind of manifests this in some way, whether they're aware of it or not. I don't think Star Wars is necessarily my religion. (laughs) I don't think about it that way exactly, but it does strike a chord in me and make me think about the kind of person I want to be. And when I see stories about good and evil, because I grew up with Star Wars, probably they all kind of like resonate with me. And if you're a thoughtful person, I think they make you think about the real world. I think sometimes people just consume that stuff and it's just like, it's just popcorn and that's fine. But I think there's also whatever lessons you're taking from that. If you're ta- if you're watching something like that and then you go out into the world and you're just a total asshole to everybody, <laughs> which there's a big contingency of those people. My little pony um, friendship is magic. I just inserted that in, in right, your pause. There you go. And, and then you're just out and you're just rude to people and you're mean and you're selfish and your political agenda is cruel. Then you've missed the point. <laughs> It shouldn't be the thing that dominates your life or defines your life, but it can be a happy and positive reminder of we can be more than we sometimes default to. That's really lovely. Dipping into my psychological background and why I think collectibles were not maybe a thing for me is we didn't have a lot of money as kids growing up, so we didn't get a lot of toys. Yeah. So I remember a lot of things that... I wanted that I couldn't get. Or it was like, you have this one My Little Pony that you get for your birthday, but we can't afford another one till whatever. So it wasn't even a possibility for me to be a collector of so many things because we didn't have the means to do it. Now you could say, well, you could collect other things like stamps are nice and cheap. Like, But at a certain point, there is an elitism to certain types of collecting. Sure. And... I'm not saying that I'm not an elitist about certain things as well. Like you, you can be an elitist about any sort of thing, but maybe that's where some of the haters come from is like in their lives, either they couldn't be or they weren't allowed to be, or they were told it was stupid. And I think where you're coming from is a very healthy place to come from for it. Yeah. Or they can't now if something is to some of these higher end, like I said, that that Millennium Falcon is a great example. It's it's 800 fucking dollars for that thing. That's insane. It's too much. It's beautiful. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and literally like they do a thing where they do like a uh, piece count by price and like per piece you're paying for is usually around 10 cents. And it kind of bears out because it's just so many pieces, so many little intricate pieces. So I understand where the price came from, but it's also like, well, do we really need that? And actually Lego in their most recent round of Star Wars things has started to kind of like simplify their, they've gone through like this cycle of like going from very simple to very complex. And now they're kind of coming back to simple. And lowering their prices. An X-Wing fighter used to be $80, $90, $100. And now they're like put out a $50 version. Looks pretty cool still because they have all this engineering knowledge that they built from doing it in the more complex way. And they trying to like be like, okay, let, hey, let's pull this back down and make it so people can get it. Because again, it has to be a thing that can be on retail. And I think, uh, yeah, the elitism thing, you're 100% right, Erica. And I feel that sometimes and sometimes I'm very shy to talk about a topic like this because I don't want to seem like I'm an asshole who's just like flaunting that I have. Uh, you you're know. not. <laughs> to be clear, I'm not trying to call you out for that. But I, No, I didn't think you I didn't think I you mean, were. Matt but... keeps showing us individual things from his collection throughout I'm here. Like, I'm just like, like kind of doing a little. Yeah, I've got I a big have stack of money. I'm just like throwing bills down. Um, Let your no. cigarette with your 20. <laughs> I, I find that high price stuff sort of liberating because it's so out of reach that you can just say, OK, I'm not getting everything right now. I know <laughs> some people get really salty about it. And 
you know, especially with with Lego in particular, it's these things that are released at San Diego Comic Con. Yeah, and it's like I have every Batman, but I don't have this Batman because it came out that year, and there were two hundred of them, and it sells for a thousand whatever. And years ago, I was going through Warren Buffett's jewelry store in Omaha and looked at this two million dollar diamond that was sitting out, and it was something to see. And my wife said to me, "It's really great knowing that that exists." I don't need to own it. Knowledge of its existence and my happiness in looking at it is not dependent on it being something that's in my house rather than in, in Warren's store. And that really kind of has stuck with me over the years when I've really thought about like, what do I, what do I want to look at every day versus what do I just want to know is in the world somewhere? I want to comment on two things. One thing that Erica said, I think that sometimes that limitation of being able to collect too has an opposite effect of what you were explaining. I know that there are some collectors who talk about when they were kids, they couldn't get this, they couldn't get that. And now, now the world is open and they can get whatever (laughs) they want. No one will stop me except my spouse, baby. (laughs) Right, right. So there there can be that side of it. And I, I think I fall a little bit into that camp. I mean, I was an only child, so I had a fair amount of Star Wars stuff. But I remember one of my favorite moments favorite's a hard way to say this, but like a very memorable moment from my childhood is my mom bringing home a Luke Skywalker in his Hoth snow outfit. And, you know, it was like there was three or four dollars when I was a kid. And I was, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe not even, maybe not even that old. And realizing like she probably skipped her lunch that day to get me that figure. And she recently has had some health issues and I thought of that and I, I got so, uh, so emotional, like talking to her about it. And she's like, yeah, I skipped a lot of lunches. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I know, mom. And, you oh. know, <laughs> so I'm very lucky that I've had the opportunity to help her out in this time when she's, you know, like struggling with some things and, um, uh, having these health issues. So there's that happy side of it too. But like I realized kind of then I couldn't get everything I wanted. There's also a story from my childhood where once I got into Transformers, like Transformers were a little more expensive. They were around 10 bucks to get like most of them. And I was a little bit older and I was getting an allowance. And my dad one day kind of scolded me. He's like, well, every time you get $10, you just go out and spend it. I looked at him and my mom dead serious. And I go, well, everything I want costs $10. And, my, and I saw... I saw my dad get immediately furious, but not know what to say. And I saw my mom stifle a laugh. <laughs> and I was like, I think I won. <laughs> but the not being able to get everything, too, uh, that you were talking about, Brian, one of my other favorite things is the DC animated universe. I just I just think it's so good. It's such good storytelling. It culminates in such a wonderful way. And a few years ago, they had a very cheap, relatively cheap line of figures that was wildly expansive. And they started selling some of them online and you could get like almost every character that ever existed in the DC universe, whether or not they even showed up in the cartoon or not. And to me, who like grew up with DC comics and like really loved them in the 80s and 90s and even into the 2000s, and I eventually kind of dropped off. But that show and those comics, I was like, I really want these. And they were like, you know, a new single figure was Five bucks. It wasn't that much, you know, especially in the 2000s. That was like nothing for a figure. Like even like basic figures were seven, eight bucks. They were really cheap. And they do these three packs that were like $15 or $12 or something. And I just voraciously, voraciously collected this line. And it has a ton of character selection in it. And the fact that I could get really obscure characters that like Crimson Fox and, 
you know, Vigilante and the Shining Knight and all these crazy DC characters that are almost never made into that form. I was so excited about. And there is one. It's literally a line that I completed. I got an Aquaman figure. There was a single carded Aquaman figure that was really hard to find. It's one of the few things I spent more money than like the retail cost on because I spent like $30 getting it on eBay. But there is one figure from that line that I don't have that I will never have. It is a Hal Jordan Green Lantern. Hal Jordan wasn't the Green Lantern on those cartoons. It was uh, John Stewart. But they did a one version of that figure that went out as a Christmas gift to people who worked at Warner Brothers or at Mattel or something. It's like 60 or 100 of them got made. And it's crazy expensive to get this Hal Jordan Green Lantern from the animated series on a card. For years, I would kind of like watch for it and watch for it. And I finally went, I'm just glad that exists. It's the same thing you were saying. Like, I don't need it. I've got my collection. I've got my guys. I'm good. I can let that one go. It's cool that they made it. I love that it got to be a gift to people who actually helped create that thing that was special for them. That's cool. Like, and like once I kind of like got my head around that, it really helped me a lot with all of my collecting of like, oh, I can just have the parts that I want. (laughs) And it doesn't have to be this all-consuming thing. Now, sometimes I want a lot of parts, unfortunately. So I think we're entering the home stretch here, but I want to make sure uh, sort of a related topic to what you were just talking about, the limits of your avarice, which is one of the reasons that I stopped with the Star Wars thing is because that's when Clone Wars cartoon stuff started coming up. And that was just different enough from the representations of the real life characters that I had no interest in it. I don't want a clone that looks a little animated in that weird style that the cartoon has. And it was so just arbitrary. And I, you know, I just attribute this to nostalgia. That is the three and a half inch figures is the thing that I grew up with. And so if there are two scale vehicles, like so a really enormous <laughs> Millennium Falcon or whatever that would actually fit with that. All that definitely within the reach of desire, even if I wasn't going to pay the money required for it. I remember there was a episode one Naboo ship. I think, you know, her, the, the Queens, I think that was the biggest thing. So I didn't purchase that, but did, you know, replace my ad at from being a kid. But just how arbitrary it was that at the time I listened to this podcast, Star Wars Action News, which is a couple that would run this together and these, they would put out episodes like every other day and they would be all be two and a half hours long, three hours long and just talk about everything. Like our entire house is full of Star Wars, everything. Whereas I realized about 5% of the merchandise that is available for Star Wars, not the bobbleheads, not the cards, not all this stuff. And so that was my sort of arbitrary cutoff. Again, probably put in by nostalgia. It sounds like Matt that you're a little more like if it's actually a quality thing that what is important for your pleasure of being able to hold it is it not just be something that can be dismissed as plastic crap that it you know has to have some puzzles some rearrangement some quality extra joints something like that yeah i think that's why i'm not a vintage collector and i've liked like sort of these like reimaginings of these things that have come out in the last 20 years or so for me it's about having a representation of a particular character or a particular ship if it's star wars and this has happened a couple times where the X-Wing Fighter is a great example, the one I was just talking about. They put out this new one that's a little bit cheaper, and it looks great. I mean, it looks about as good as the one I've got. Do I need to buy that? <laughs> I've got an X-Wing Fighter. Do I need the other new version of the... And, and my my choice Fleet is... building. <laughs> I could fleet build. I don't have... If I had infinite money and infinite space, maybe I would go insane and do that, but I'm just not going to do that. If it's truly different in some way, like I have a Luke Skywalker X-Wing fighter and I have Poe Dameron X-Wing starfighter because 
I like those characters and I like those ship designs. I like the different color schemes. I usually don't need to get another representation of something unless it is somehow significantly improved or significantly changed, in which case I would probably get rid of the old thing and even sometimes just be like, you know what? The old thing is great. I love the old thing. I don't need the newest, brightest, fanciest. I'm not a fucking iPhone early adopter guy. Yeah, I'm going to judge those guys after I said we shouldn't judge people. So (laughs) to me, it's really cherry picking with the Transformers thing right now. I'm trying to kind of like focus on a particular set of characters and like the way those characters kind of got released and were introduced. There's kind of a big influx of people in the original run in 1984 and then kind of a big influx of people in the 86 movie or characters, not people. And some of those two core casts are kind of like where my collection is. And I've got a fair amount of them. And probably once I get a representation of those characters at a reasonable price, you know, there are a few that I'm like, I'm not getting that. It's too expensive. If they make a cool one that's cheaper, I can get it. Awesome. Great. If not, I'll just have to have that hole in my collection. I've just sent you the link to the Lego Jack Porkins Rogue Red 6 X-Wing Starfighter. Porkins. <laughs> when you get saddled with a name like that, you know, talking about putting limitations on our collections or having them come to an end. I know we're, as you say, getting to the end here, Mark. I, I want to mention the collection I've had going for 38 years now. And I didn't have Lego as a kid. We didn't have all that much money, but I was able to collect something that I could just go buy once a year. And I figured, well, there will always be a need for this thing because as the people sit around the kitchen table and have questions about who won the Oscar in 1954 or the World Series or what's the capital of Togo, someone will always want to look at an almanac. (laughs) And starting in 1984, I bought an information please almanac and I've been buying it, I bought it every year until it fin- they finally stopped publication within the last 10 years. And I had to make that decision. Well, okay, the internet, in addition to ruining our democracy, has ruined this collection for me. They do still print the world book. And I said, well, I guess I could keep going and just keep buying it. And, you know, of course I have. I mean, what, it's seven bucks a year, right? It's nothing. But it is really disappointing that, you know, <laughs> everyone can just get out their phones and find what they need. And I am not bemoaning the modern age, but it is just a little bit of a bummer that the thing that meant so much to me, and as the youngest person at the table, I usually didn't have the knowledge, but I could be the little snot-nosed kid who could get the knowledge. (laughs) That's interesting because this is something I think of in terms of less about collecting, but more about creative projects for me is like, I see a lot of people around me, like they're in a creative project and at first they love it and it's really good and it's really positive for them. And then at some point it becomes really too precious and they're afraid of letting it go and they're afraid of it ending. Was there also any relief to it ending? To me, like I like to end things. (laughs) I like to end projects because I get a sense of, oh, this thing is complete now. And I kind of do that a little bit with collecting. I'm like, this is complete. I can just set this aside. Maybe I'll collect something else. Maybe I won't. And projects, I'm like, I did this for 10 years. I think I'm good. There's a freedom I find in things ending. Did you get any sense of relief or was it just the kind of nostalgia and sense of loss? Because it can be both for sure. I think electing to pick up another publisher's almanac was the answer to that. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I I knew it was coming to an end. I like that it still ties me back to the beginning. I like what I was overseas and my mom 
knew to get it for me. That's cool. When I was in college. I mean, it was just kind of, it's been a nice thing throughout my life and I'll keep getting it. I do in some ways wish I had done something maybe like that annual thing that just had a little more relevance today. It'd be a nice yeah. treat for whomever you leave it to in your will. Yeah, they can throw it in the <laughs> casket with me or in the crematorium. Matt, I think that's really, that's great philosophy to have. And I don't know, I think it helps me out personally too. Cause like there is something about nostalgia in particular that is, let's continue this. Let's continue this. It should never end. It is nice sometimes to be like a Cylon and, and appreciate the end point and things, right? <laughs> so that everything else oh, uh. mattered in some way. And it's not like you can't keep having nostalgia over different things, but at least there is a sense of accomplishment and completeness. Is the same reason why I love that partially because of uh, these streaming services, we now have so many TV shows that end after two seasons or three seasons, and that's it. Or maybe even just one season. And so it's better because it's a complete idea. Precious cop rock ended after only one season. <laughs> I think there's sort of two different things at, at play there. You know, I think what Brian's saying is like, it's a tradition. It's a yearly thing that I get to do. It's like a holiday, you know, and like, that's cool. That's great. It's great to keep that tradition alive and it, and it brings you joy. So like, why not keep it alive? I think the thing that a similar thing for me was... Well, maybe I shouldn't say similar, but a thing that it made me think of was I got super into collecting comic books from really like 97 to like 2011. I was like every Wednesday at the comic book shop buying my titles. And then when DC did a reboot of their universe called the New 52, I just went, you know what? I'm good. <laughs> they gave you an offering. <laughs> yeah, it was supposed to bring on new readers. And for me, I was like. I've loved this thing. And if I want to get back into it at some point, I can. I occasionally go to a comic book store now and I'm like, I'm going to pick up this trade and I'm going to pick up this thing and I'm going to find an indie thing that isn't like superhero bullshit. And that's more satisfying to me now. I like that way that I interact with the graphic novel medium now, as opposed to feeling like it became a an obligation. When a thing becomes an obligation like that, I just think that's to me when it's bad. As long as it's sparking some joy in you, then, you know, to get all Marie Kondo here, then it's probably Absolutely. okay. So I know, Erica, has, you've been very modest about your collecting ambitions, but I mean, we can see behind you three shelves of the skulls of your defeated enemies. So, I mean, <laughs> I, I think you should count that as a collection, even though I'm sure, like Matt was saying, it was more about the process of getting those skulls than yeah. having the collection itself. You can't see this, you know, behind her spit guard, the necklace made out of the ears. So... Everybody's got to have a hobby. If you're a soul harvester, then be proud about it. Like, be happy and be excited. <laughs> On that Thanks, note, guys. thank you so much, Matt, for joining <laughs> us. Thank you, Matt. Oh, thank you. This has been great. No, thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure. And thank you, listeners. Bye, listeners. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode, and you get to hear the episodes in advance of everyone else at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.